Hi, everyone, and welcome to the State of State Schools podcast. I'm your host, John Stamper, Christian author, former homeschooler, and former public school teacher. Once a week, I'll give a quick recap of the most important headlines in education and pull back the curtain on what's really happening in our kids' schools. If you're a teacher, parent, or homeschool family, this podcast is for you. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number seven. We have eight headlines to get to, all from the week of February 13th. Just so you know, there are many stories that I don't get to cover every week on this podcast, so I try to share those stories on Twitter. So if you want, you can follow me on Twitter at the SOSS podcast. Let's go. Headline number one comes from Fox News. A teacher in California was fired because she would not use preferred pronouns or deceive parents about their child's gender identity. So this story really hits home with me. According to Jessica Tapia, I may be mispronouncing her name, um, a PE teacher in the Yerupa Unified School District, her school's gender policies required her to lie to her students and deceive their parents. She said the school's gender policies stood in direct contradiction to her Christian beliefs. She stated, quote, I knew immediately, like in my gut, in my heart, in my soul, that there was a decision I had to make because these two things were totally butting heads. I essentially had to pick one. Am I going to obey the district in the directives that are not lining up with my own beliefs, convictions, and faith? Or am I going to stay true, choose my faith, choose to be obedient to the way the Lord has called me to live? And so it was crazy to be in the position where I realized that I couldn't be a Christian and a teacher, end quote. In a letter from her superintendent, um, Jessica was notified that the district could not accommodate her Christian beliefs and that she would be released from employment effective January 31st, 2023. So basically, the superintendent told her that if she can't deflect parents' questions about gender identity or keep a student's gender identity a secret from parents, then the school can't accommodate her Christian beliefs and she has to go. Jessica said, quote, according to my school district, students have privacy. And so if a student shares information regarding a pronoun preference or thinking they may be the opposite gender of what they biologically are, if they share that information with a teacher, we are supposed to keep that info from parents in case the parent doesn't know, end quote. She went on to say that it's not loving to lie to children or to add to their confusion by affirming their transgender identity. The district denies all of these allegations and says they take religious beliefs seriously, but that they also have to comply with local, state, and federal laws that protect a student's right to privacy. Jessica is in the process of filing a lawsuit against the school district, but the whole story really resonates with me. If you know anything about my background, it's very similar to what I experienced in Chicago public schools, uh, except I ended up filing a formal complaint and resigning, but the conflict of values and the school policies violating my Christian beliefs are all things that I can totally relate to. Uh, this is the stuff that teachers, especially, especially Christian teachers, need to hear. So much of what I talk about on this podcast or in my book relates to parents and children, but teachers are going through real conflicts too. We need to remember that there are a lot of teachers out there 
who are not down with this indoctrination going on with schools or the woke ideologies, you know, being forced on kids. But like I talk about in my book, eventually those teachers are going to face a conflict of values like Jessica here, and they need to be ready for that. Headline number two comes from The Post Millennial, a clinical psychologist and expert witness testified against a Wisconsin school district who's being sued for secretly helping a sixth grade girl gender transition while keeping it from the girl's parents. This is an ongoing story dating back to 2021 that involves the Kettle Moraine School District in Wisconsin. The story began when the 12 year old girl started to experience quote, rapid onset gender dysphoria, end quote, along with anxiety and depression. So her parents, pulled her out of the middle school to receive treatment at a mental health center. After receiving only affirmative treatment at that center, the girl returned to school with her parents requesting that her gender transition not be affirmed at school. So the parents wanted the girl treated as a girl. The school, however, continued using the girl's trans name and male pronouns against her parents' wishes. The lawsuit filed in 2021 stated that it, quote, seeks to vindicate one of the most fundamental constitutional rights every parent holds dear, the right to raise their children. The Kettle Moraine School District has violated this foundational right by undermining and overriding parents' decision-making role with respect to a major and controversial issue, end quote. One response from the school superintendent reads, quote, we do have a practice of using a nickname when requested by the child, and that has been in place for decades. The concern is if we refuse to allow a child to request a nickname because of the transgender issue, we are discriminating against a protected class, end quote. So fast forward a year to the fall of 2022. Erica Anderson, a gender specialist and trans male, testified against the school district stating, quote, transitioning socially can also be psychologically hard to reverse for a child or adolescent, end quote. And that in some cases, social transition is not in the best interest of the child. The doctor continued, quote, a common principle in the training for psychotherapists who work with children and adolescents is never to create or aggravate any tensions in the parent-child relationship. By facilitating a social transition at school, over the parent's objection, a school would drive a wedge between the parent and child, end quote. So the girl has since desisted and no longer identifies as a boy, but like the doctor said, by keeping this from parents, a school would drive a wedge between the parent and the child. That's the trend in schools, and it's extremely dangerous for the child and totally undermines the parents. Along with critical race theory and all the discrimination there, this issue of hiding things from parents is the most troubling. Concerning uh, rapid onset gender dysphoria that we talked about, uh, Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage, is outstanding, and I would recommend that to you, especially if you have daughters who are teens or preteens. Headline number three comes from The Daily Caller. 55 schools in Chicago do not have a single student proficient in either math or reading. The data comes from the Illinois State Board of Education during the 2021-22 school year, 
which is the year after I taught for Chicago Public Schools, Chicago has 649 schools. 22 of those schools don't have a single student proficient in reading. 33 schools don't have a single student proficient in math. So that adds up to about 8.5% of the schools in Chicago. A lot of the blame will be put on COVID and school closures, but it's well documented, and I discussed this in my book, that many teacher unions fought to keep schools closed, adding to the learning loss. Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, which is the second largest teacher union in the country, stated, quote, the bottom line is everyone suffered in the pandemic because of the pandemic, end quote. However, in the fall of 2020, Weingarten, along with many other teacher unions, threatened to strike if schools were to reopen. And in the fall of 2020, the Chicago Teachers Union went so far as to tweet, quote, the push to open schools is rooted in sexism, racism, and misogyny, end quote. So it's just sad and frustrating that the politics, the posturing, the virtue signaling, all comes at the expense of educating children. Keep in mind about the only schools who never closed during COVID were some private schools and, of course, homeschools. Headline number four comes from Newsmax. North Carolina's Parents' Bill of Rights passes the state Senate and moves on to the House. This bill focuses on parental rights as it concerns education. If passed, a few examples of parent rights that would be included are the right to consent or withhold consent for participation in reproductive health and safety education programs or sex ed. Next, the right to seek a medical or religious exemption from immunization requirements. The right to inspect and purchase public school unit textbooks and other supplementary instructional materials. That's big. The right to review all available records of materials their child has borrowed from a school library. So they just want to know what their kids are reading. North Carolina's Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson supports the bill, stating, quote, Parents have absolutely lost their patience with this all-powerful educational cabal that thinks they know better than parents do. We believe that it is important that parents are in charge of their children's educational destiny and that parents are always in charge of their children's social progress, end quote. He continued, quote, but the school is not for social engineering. These things need to be directed by the parents. No secrets need to be held between teachers or administrators or anyone else inside that school. Full parental involvement always needs to be at the forefront. In North Carolina, we spend half of our $26 billion state budget on public education. And right now, we are failing to teach our children to read on grade level, end quote. So I really like the idea of this bill for those who decide to stay in public or private schools. Some of the big takeaways for me are that parents get to look at textbooks, supplementary teaching materials, and library books. The quote-unquote supplementary materials, I think, is where a ton of the indoctrination is happening in schools. It's a little bit more under the radar, behind the curtain. In my experience, most of the indoctrination was taking place through training sessions, presentations, special school events. In previous episodes, I've discussed these special weeks that schools have, like Pride Week, Trans Day of Visibility, or Black Lives Matter Week of Action. 
these are examples of supplementary materials. These things usually aren't in the curriculum, but they're themes that schools are celebrating and promoting in mass. So that's why for parents who choose not to homeschool, having access to textbooks, supplemental materials, and library books is so important. And I'd even suggest that parents get to preview guest speakers and field trips too. Headline number five comes from Fox News. Yeonmi Park, a defector from North Korea, warns that America's education system is teaching the same ideologies as her home country. The author of two books, In Order to Live and While Time Remains, Park said in a recent interview that the woke ideologies being taught in America's schools could lead us down the same path as her home country of North Korea. So I've known of Yeonmi Park. Yeonmi is Y-E-O-N-M-I Park. I've known of her for a few years. I've heard her tell her story on podcasts and in interviews. I've even read her book, In Order to Live. Her story is amazing. It's unbelievable. So I encourage everyone to check out her books or at least listen to her tell her story. Um, I did share the link to one of her best interviews, I think. So just click on this podcast episode details to get that link on Spotify. So in this most recent interview, Park said, quote, the things that I was learning at Columbia University really shocked me because it was the exact same thing that my North Korean teachers were brainwashing me in the classroom. They were literally saying that all the problems we have is because of capitalism, because of white men. And the solution for all these problems is a communist revolution in the name of equity, end quote. I know she's talking about an Ivy League school here and not K-12, but these same themes are all over K-12 public schools. For example, the quote-unquote intersecting identities graphic that was presented to me during my teacher training in Chicago also labeled white men and middle-class homeowners as privileged and abusive, just like Miss Park experienced at Columbia. Not to mention the huge emphasis schools are placing on equity with the whole diversity, equity, inclusion push. When Park's American classmates claimed that they were oppressed, she stated, quote, it's really funny to me that somehow not having a problem is a problem. They literally create a problem out of nowhere and create injustice out of thin air, end quote. One thing that really stuck with me about Park's story is how she described the control that her government had on speech, forcing speech, compelling people to say certain words, or they'll face punishment, changing the meaning of words, or removing words altogether from their language. So when I see school policies that tell teachers and students to use preferred pronouns or advocate for Black Lives Matter, that's forcing speech. That's forcing compliance. Like we just talked about with that Christian teacher in California. The control or manipulation of speech is one example of a communist tactic in our schools, in our politics, and in society today. Headline number six comes from the Post Millennial. A pre-K teacher and college professor in California promotes teaching queerness to toddlers that childhood innocence is a myth, and that three-month-old babies have a sexual preference. The man, who goes by the name Mr. Willie, is a pre-K teacher in the Rialto Unified School District, as well as the Santa Ana College in California, 
where he teaches a course on early childhood development. According to his recently deleted Instagram account, his goal was to destroy the idea that children are too innocent to learn about sexuality and gender queer topics. He also stated that not teaching queerness to toddlers is a very, quote, very white, Christian, upper-class, cisgendered, and heterocentric view. And that not talking about queerness in the classroom is not letting children be children. It's telling those people they do not deserve to exist, end quote. In response to all this, the Santa Ana College stated they, quote, do not condone any form of attack on childhood innocence and that their courses in child development and education studies do not address nor teach gender studies, end quote. So there are a lot of people in this country, including teachers, who share these views of teaching sexuality and queerness to children before they can even talk or crawl, apparently. And this guy who shares these opinions taught pre-K. I'm just curious, and I don't know the answer, but how many parents out there who drop their kids off at daycare or pre-K, how many of you know if your kids are being taught about queerness and sexuality? How would you know? Have you ever asked? Maybe you have, I'm just thinking out loud, but if you don't know for sure, it may be a discussion you wanna have with the adults in charge. Because like I've discussed before, it's easy for a school or a teacher to say, oh, that's not in our curriculum, but it's being snuck in some other way. You might wanna say snuck in behind the curtain. Headline number seven comes from The Daily Caller. A school board in New Hampshire banned urinals last week, then reversed the ban after a student walkout and, quote, lots and lots of emails and lots of phone calls, end quote. So there was a proposal in this New Hampshire school to limit bathroom use based on biological sex. So the garbage bags on urinals was kind of the school board's way of compromising. In addition to banning urinals, um, a limit was placed on the number of students that were allowed in the bathrooms at one time. So when the school board received a proposal to allow bathroom use based on biological sex, they thought trash bags covering the urinals was the solution. That just keeps biological males from using the male bathroom. It doesn't keep boys from using the girls' bathroom or keep girls from using the boys' bathroom. And call me crazy, but I'm pretty sure there weren't any urinals in the girls' bathroom in the first place. I think that's how it works. While the trash bags have been removed from the urinals, the capacity limit still stands and students can still use the bathroom based on their gender identity, not their biological sex. So the only thing that's actually changed is the number of students allowed in the bathroom. So basically, the school board took the long way around, created a mess, just to end up right back where they started. I don't think this is quite the compromise that the school board thinks it is. So this final headline is just a little bit of an FYI for all the teachers and parents out there. Chat GPT has been in the news quite a bit lately, and it's definitely something that teachers, parents, and homeschool families should be aware of if you're not already. Chat GPT is a free language software created by a research and development company called OpenAI and was released in November of 2022, so it's only a few months old. The software interacts with the user in a conversational way, answering questions and having a dialogue in real time. 
Google recently launched their own version of ChatGPT called Bard. The software has the ability to answer scientific questions, write research papers, and recently even passed the U.S. medical licensing exam, which qualifies someone to practice medicine. While it's impressive technology, the information provided should not be considered factual or 100% accurate. It has many schools scrambling to create policies that you know restrict the use of the software on the school network. The AP News wrote an article about how ChatGPT is being banned in New York City schools to prevent students from cheating. The Daily Wire wrote an article recently about how ChatGPT cited a fake scientific paper to support radical gender theory. So people have kind of been experimenting with chat GPT and asking it all kinds of questions, some silly and you know some legitimate, but when asked questions about hot button issues like gender theory, the answers are consistently very left leaning, showing a bias. The software has positive features, but the concerning features are one, uh, it can be used by students to write papers for them or cheat. Two, the info isn't always accurate. And three, the answers it gives to political or hot button questions seem to be very biased. Again, I'm not super familiar with chat GPT, but it's definitely something teachers and parents want to keep an eye on moving forward. All right, everyone, that's this week's State of State Schools. We'll see you next time.